Hello, and welcome to the Dorkening Podcast Network. Press pound to hear the available shows. That Strange Show, Throwdown Thursday, Loose Cannon with Jar Jar Jeremy, Three Guys That Horror, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews, The Audio Files 2.0. This is probably one of Dwayne's worst films. Yeah, he's allowed to have a tooth fairy every now and then, sure. Yeah, this is a tooth fairy and then some, because it does not show the monsters tearing up buildings until the last 20 minutes of the movie. That's what the game is. It's fucking monsters tearing up a a fucking city. Secret Underground Hideout. Cinema with Harrison Smith. Dorks the Podcast. The Dorkening. Black and White Fright. The Wicked Horror Show. Subscribe to all these awesome shows anywhere podcasts can be found. For more information, check out thedorkening.com. In the year 1860, I, Baron Frankenstein, was sentenced to death on the guillotine. Why? Why had the world condemned me? Because I was the first man to create another living being. The first unnatural man. But because his brain was affected, because he could not control his animal instincts, he was hunted down and brutally murdered. But I have escaped the guillotine, and I shall avenge the death of my creation. You will witness scenes never before seen on a motion picture screen. You will see Frankenstein take the eyes of one man, the brain of another. You will see lifeless hands begin to move. You will see a man turn into the world's most terrifying monster. Welcome back to another episode of your Hammer Horror Podcast, Boobs, Blood, and Badasses. I'm your host, Ro Lauren. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Chris. And you can find this episode and the rest on The Dorkening. 
Today we are going over Revenge of Frankenstein. And if you've been a long-time listener, you might remember we have done the first horror of Frankenstein from quite a while back. But now we're catching back up and going back through the horror or the Frankenstein movies. Right. It's been a little while and uh, we'll be treating this like we haven't left it. I've been looking forward to returning to uh, Peter Cushing's signature role for these movies. Uh, he has a bigger role through these films than he did in the Dracula movies, where in the Dracula movies he's only in four of them, but he's in most of the Frankenstein movies, um, and only with Christopher Lee in the first one that we covered. Yes, Revenge of Frankenstein, first released on June 1st, 1958, directed by Terence Fisher. Previously, when we covered Horror of Frankenstein, our protagonist, Dr. Frankenstein, was sentenced to death after the creation of his creature. Our film opens in 1860, and Baron Frankenstein, Peter Cushing, is to be executed for the murders of his, that his creature committed. The Baron is taken from his prison cell to the guillotine, although we don't see the guillotine kill him. In a bar, two drunk grave robbers, Fritz Lionel, or Lionel Jeffries and Kurt Michael Ripper, talk about a potential job. Kurt is reluctant at first, but agrees when he hears the price. They open the grave of Baron Frankenstein, and insi- but inside the coffin is the priest from the execution. Frankenstein appears, causing Fritz to suffer a heart attack and uh, die of shock. The Baron and his, poten- or his partially paralyzed uh, assistant, Carl, Oscar Kitok, bury Fritz in the open grave. Three years pass, and now in Carlsbrook, Frankenstein is practicing as a medical doctor under the name Dr. Stein, um, but he is not a member of the town's medical council. The council are not happy about this and send a group to try to persuade him to join or just stop practicing altogether. Stein is working in his overcrowded hospital of a ward of Stein is working in his overcrowded hospital ward full of sick and poor patients. He refuses to join the council, saying they only exist to eliminate competition and that he has done well all on his own. Dr. Hans Cleve, Francis Matthews, is waiting for Stein when he returns to his office from the ward. He recognizes Stein as Baron Frankenstein and negotiates to work with him and learn from him in exchange for his silence about Stein's real identity. Stein agrees and takes Cleve to his laboratory and introduces him to Carl. In the laboratory are various parts that Stein has removed from his patients in the hospital ward. Stein demonstrates how disembodied eyes and a hand connect to a remote brain and react to flame. In another preservation tank, Stein shows Hans a complete man, Michael Gwynn, constructed from various body parts. The only thing missing is a brain. Carl helps Stein escape the guillotine and has agreed to donate his brain in return for the new body. Back at the hospital, Margaret Eunice Gason, the daughter of the president of the medical council, arrives at the ward to work with Stein and Hans as a compromise to allow Stein to keep his hospital open. That night, in the laboratory, Stein and Cleve perform the operation on Carl and transplant his brain into the new body. During the operation, the creature becomes angry and they have to tranquilize him until the brain becomes used to the new body. They move Carl to the hospital, but are 
seen by the hospital janitor who tells Margaret about Stein bringing in Carl. Margaret visits Carl and releases him from his straps because he is uncomfortable. The hospital assistant talks to Hans about changes in his animals. This prompts Hans to start wondering if a brain may react differently in a different body. He returns to the lab where he and Stein discuss the chimpanzee, which has started to eat meat since his brain transplant of an orangutan. And Frankenstein reveals his next creature. Carl escapes from his room at, at the hospital to return to the lab after uh, Hans and Stein leave. He finds his own body and throws it out into the furnace, but is overheard by someone, George Woodbridge, who comes in to investigate. At first, he thinks that the chimpanzee is making the noise, but as Carl tries to, to leave, he accidentally starts up the lab equipment, connecting to another complete body in the glass tank. The man fights with Carl and causes Carl to become angry and kills the man. Stein and Hans go to Carl's room to find him gone. They rush back to the lab and find the body and the burned up remains of Carl's old body. Stein tells Hans to return to the hospital and continue as normal. Margaret finds Carl hiding in her stables. She goes to the hospital to fetch Hans. Meanwhile, Carl is struggling to control his new body. And when Margaret is gone, Carl... Or when, uh, meanwhile, Carl is struggling to control his new body. And when Margaret and Cleve return, Carl has left. Carl murders a girl, and his cannibal tendencies start to develop. Stein and Hans go to Margaret's house, and now the disfigured Carl breaks in and begs Frankenstein to help him. One of the other house guests, Dr. Mulk, Arnold Diamond, sees this and reports Frankenstein to the medical council. Stein and Hans attend a medical council where Stein denies he is Baron Frankenstein and suggests they obtain proof. The medical council opens the Baron's grave and only finds the priest's body. Back in the hospital ward, none of the patients want to be treated by the man they now believe to be Frankenstein. The patients all attack Frankenstein, but before they kill him, Hans arrives and takes him to the lab to tend to his injuries. However, Frankenstein is mortally wounded, so Hans transplants his brain from his disfigured and mutilated body into the new one. A police inspector and medical council members arrive at the lab to arrest Frankenstein, but Hans just shows him his dead body. They leave, believing the problem is solved. Frankenstein and Hans relocate to Harley Street in London, where Frankenstein resumes practicing medicine under the name of Dr. Frank. We'll see whether or not he uh, maintain, maintains that same name when we come back in the... Uh the uh the next movie the uh the movie opens up in 1860 did the last movie end in 1860 is that continuity still intact oh yeah that's a great question i'm trying to remember or at least find my note now the american civil war was on the eve of starting actually over here correct yes we were this is 1860 and we were about to go to war on 1861 Abraham Lincoln versus Andrew Jackson. Ding, ding, ding. Abraham Lincoln wins. <laughs> but Andrew Jackson summons John Wilkes Booth. Dun, dun, dun. You know, how come there had never been an American president fighting game? I feel like there might be one on Steam somewhere, but yeah, it'd be, I think that'd be pretty funny. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Um, again, yeah. if you were playing as Andrew Jackson, you could summon uh, John Wilkes Booth to take out Abraham Lincoln. Uh, what would the fatality be for the current standing president? 
golf or coronavirus? Well, he seems to be pretty uh, immune to COVID so far. He's not been wearing a mask, right? That's like his right. whole thing. Yeah, nobody in this movie seems to be wearing a mask either. They all <laughs> come across the hospital scene where the uh, the 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 uh, the rich white parliament people come to visit the hospital. Reminds me exactly. Like when Trump and Pence went to visit the hospital with all the COVID-19 patients recently. <laughs> they're not wearing masks. It's like they're all sitting there breathing in the air of all these sick people in bed. And none of them are wearing masks in that scene. Yeah. And you had it's worse really... to worry about back then than we do right now with COVID-19. There was a lot worse to worry about. Well, and then there's that one guy that they're like, um, he... He goes out of his way to specifically say that he doesn't believe in using soap because it makes you more susceptible to um, to germs. Right. Like, okay, buddy. A lot of sense. Okay, so Frankenstein is led to the guillotine. Good pickup of continuity. Of course, one movie does take place after the other. When it comes to the continuity with the Frankenstein movies, I definitely think they hold on to it a little bit better than they did the Dracula movies. Mm-hmm. Now, um... Is, are there any tidbits of this movie in the book that I sent you for Christmas? Oh, yeah. Let me check. So I've got it right here. Fakes his death, but we never see how he does that because the guillotine comes down, but his assistant is there at the guillotine. Do you think his assistant pushes maybe the executioner in the way of the guillotine and he's who dies? Or the, pri- or no, the priest, right? The priest, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. So, but how do they get rid of the executioner from, I, I, I don't get it. Cause the executioner is there the whole time. He would have, seen, Oh yeah. He would have seen what happened. Yeah. I don't know. All it says is just like, yeah, it happened. It's good. Like, okay. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> Honestly, that happens a lot in this movie where they pick up one idea or one plot and then it just, it's gone. It disappears for the rest of the movie. Kind of like plot lines of certain sitcoms that happens to a lot, too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so I finally found the page with The Revenge of Frankenstein on it. And it actually has three different posters, which is really cool. Oh, actually, more. It's two full pages. It has the British cover, or it has three British covers, an Italian cover, a U.S. cover. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Oh, and the Australian cover. So what happens with these people digging up... uh, So what happens after Frankenstein uh, fakes his death? Uh, Notice, by the way, that he is number 379 to get to die. Does that mean he's the 379th prisoner to get killed? I would assume so, because I think they probably went out of... Based on... um, like a conversation way later when they say he needs to be buried on unhallowed ground. I think they're just going out their way to like not have a ceremony about it, not have a headstone, like not do the whole normal burial. So I would guess that he must be that, that many people have been uh, <laughs> guillotined. <laughs> then when it's revealed in a dramatic show with a sting of music that Frankenstein is alive and now calling himself Dr. Stein. His assistant in this movie, the uh, slightly crippled man, uh, Michael, uh, played by Michael Gwynn, lived until 1976, and he was in the original uh, Village of the Damned from the 1960s. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was also in Jason and the Argonauts and Cleopatra, another actor from Cleopatra. Like the Oh, no way. Were... I thought he was fantastic. Both Carls. <laughs> Uh, Eunice Gason is another newcomer to this. Um, she's the, uh, 
she is our female lead through the whole movie, Margaret. And do you know what film franchise that she was uh, a big part of? Oh, what? By the way, so they mentioned the president in this scene as well. Um, what, what did we learn? Because we, we, we watched this together. We took our notes together. Britain doesn't have a president or wherever they are. Where where are they that would have a president in Europe? Okay, well, I, I realized after we did that, well, two things. They were talking about the president of the the medical council. Oh. So the council has a president. Okay. Yeah. But I think uh, I tried to look up Carlsbrook and I'm not, I don't think it's a real place. At least the way that my subtitles spelled it, it's not like a real place. I'm finding stuff for like Polish, but the I know I'm pretty sure the other one, Curse of Frankenstein, was maybe Swedish. So I, it could be, could be Swedish. They mentioned being close to the border of London. I, but you know, geography is not really my strong suit. And who was the <laughs> uh, prime minister at the time of this uh, movie? Would have taken place in 1860. Oh man, I have no idea. So Let's we're assuming see. they're in England, right? Yeah, the end. Okay, so Scotland and Wales border England. So I'm wondering, I wonder. Prime Minister of England of 1860 was George Hamilton Gordon IV. Don't know anything about him, but that's who the prime minister was. Okay, (laughs) so our lead actress, Margaret, is very beautiful, but she's definitely played down not to be too exotically, intoxicatingly beautiful. But in another film franchise she was, let me play you a little clip from it and see if you can figure it out. All right. The house will cover the difference. Yeah, madame. Oui, monsieur. Changez, s'il vous plaît. Carte. Neuf à la banque. I need another thousand. I admire your courage, Miss... uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Mr. Bond, I suppose you wouldn't care to, um, raise the limit? I have no objections. No. Looks like you're out to get me. It's an idea at that. So, yes, she was the femme fatale in Dr. No. That was her first big introduction to the, uh, to the cinema. And she was also in uh, 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 From Russia with Love. She would come back to play the same character. Very unusual for... Um, recurring characters to be in one film to the other that are not the primary cast, whether it be M, Money, Penny, Q, uh, anybody that Bond works with, but villains usually pretty much stay in one film. Right, exactly. Uh, Blofeld probably carried over from multiple movies. Um, but uh, yeah, so she was a Bond girl for, uh, for a, a little while. And this is after uh, she would be in uh, The Revenge of Frankenstein. She would become a Bond girl. Hmm. Yeah, it's she's very interesting in this movie because I would say she doesn't really do a whole hell of a lot. She sort of is there to just kind of kick the plot forward occasionally. Like she doesn't really have a character. She's really different than a lot of Hammer ladies. Like she's just so nice. She never does really. She never like gets caught up in a bunch of shit. 
she just kind of is good, exists and is a good person. <laughs> so we get a visit by an older, uh, larger, elderly woman, um, and we kind of <laughs> learn that Frankenstein is basically working on the rich during the day and at night working at the hospital out of the goodness of his heart no because he needs parts for his experiments yes every time he gets uh every time one of those poor people has to sever their arm from god knows what he just wants to take it and he uses it on his beautiful little experiments i believe this is the countess bar sinska as she is the only woman in the movie that would probably uh hold that title as a lot of yeah. women seem to be poppers, and she seems to be the only one of uh, with money. Uh, yeah. She was played by Majori uh, Gresley, uh, lived from 1909 to 1988. And she wow. was in a lot of productions that I am not very familiar with, but this seems to be, it looks to appear to be her only Hammer film production. Wow. So when Frankenstein goes to the hospital there it's one of the most dirtiest looking hospitals i have ever seen uh which is indicative of the time period of victorian london but there's a guy in bed smoking a pipe it's awesome he looks like he's caught on fire a couple of times to be honest like his hair is all frizzy and because he's so filthy it yeah. sort of looks like he just you know caught on fire maybe once and just kept going with it it reminded me a lot of um the house in the original charlie and chocolate factory with like grandpa joe and their little cots and stuff like it's it's like a lot it's very similar aesthetically like the bed layout the clothing the grime right. <laughs> then frankenstein comes home dr frank or dr stein dr frankenstein whatever um and we meet our next character played by francis matthews um he is the man who would assist frankenstein through this movie uh he plays hans cleave and uh he was in a ton of productions from 1927 to 2014 a lot of things I've never seen before, but he does have a very uh, illustrious and long, long, long career. I'm looking to see if he was in any other Hammer films. He was in the Adventures of Robin Hood TV series, ran from 1957 to 1958, one of the many iterations of Robin Hood. Doesn't look like he was in any other Hammer films that I can see. He was in Dracula, Prince of Darkness. He was Charles. Oh, interesting. So we have talked about him before. I just don't really quite remember him as Charles. But I think he was one of the dinner guests that goes to Dracula's castle. Because uh, remember, Dr they all go to Dracula and they're like, This Dracula man must have been a great fellow. Let's oh, toast him. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. The stupidity of people in uh, Victorian London. <laughs> So he um, interrupts Frankenstein eating what looks like half a chicken, which I got to think in Victorian London, half a fucking chicken must be very expensive. But Frankenstein oh, is right? a doctor. But where is he coming up with all of his money, considering his fortune, his 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 family, his wealth had to have been seized by the, the, the Queen and Crown when he got arrested? I mean, he it has been three years. So I guess maybe he was really good at money management over the three years that... Uh... He's been here moonlighting as St Dr. Stein. <laughs> Does this remind you of Bill Bigsby's Incredible Hulk, uh, Dr. Bruce Banner? Every time he go to a different town, he would have a different name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Though, not very creative with the names. Not very good. No, no, no. It would always be something very similar to being Dr. Banner. Just like Stein. <laughs> In the doctor's lab laboratory, there is a chimpanzee, and I'm trying to find out if the chimpanzee has any kind of uh, credit to his name. He should. I loved Otto. He was adorable, but these are very dangerous and vicious creatures, apparently. 
but they're always smiling, so I don't get it. Are they are they seriously like underminingly dangerous, or what is it? Smiling in primates is um, not the way smiling is for humans. So like when they smile, it's just that they're baring their teeth. So it's actually a threat. They're showing like, hey, bitch, look at my big ass teeth. I will fuck you up. Unlike with us, we're like, hey, buddy, how's it going? I don't know why human. I actually don't know why humans switched that. But we're like the only ones that do that. All, all other animals, when they open their mouth and show their teeth, it's a threat. <laughs> Except for when, when they're yawning, which dogs and cats, I uh, come to learn, being a cat <laughs> owner, yawn too. I didn't realize animals yawn. That was like, I thought that was a human thing. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying to see if there is an animal trainer in the credits. And there's no animal trainer either in the credits that I could find. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything either. To, uh, Rosemary Burroughs, who is the costume designer for the movie. The costumes in this movie are very period uh, to the film, considering this was filmed in 1956. Uh, she would be a costume designer, still working in Hollywood up until 2005 when she worked on uh, such films as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World, Alexander, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and V oh. for Vendetta. Wow, that's awesome. But she'd also worked previously Willow, The Mummy for, for, for Hammer, Horror of Dracula for Hammer, uh, The Phantom of the Opera for Hammer, Kiss of the Vampire for Hammer, The Evil of Frankenstein, Dracula Prince of Darkness, Quartermiss in the Pit, Frankenstein Created Woman, The Devil Rides Out. So dozens of other Hammer movies that she was the costume designer on. That's awesome. And I just found the chimp trainer, Molly Badham. And she literally has only done this. She's done, yeah, just The Revenge of Frankenstein. But then she's done two documentaries, The Secrets of the T-Chimps and Paws, Claws, and Videotapes. One of those was in 1974, and the other was in 2015. So that's all I got on her. The uh, next thing that happens is we get to the, the ward where Dr. Stein works where he gets all his lab pieces from. So we kind of touched on how dirty and gross our one was. So we see a patient that has um, like a snake with a dagger tattoo on his arm. And it's like, I mean, the tattoo stuff is just awful. It's important to notice that he does have the tattoo. And Dr. Stein is in the middle of discussing with him that in order for him to survive, he's going to have to amputate the arm. And he's pretty reluctant to do that. But his other buddies in the ward are like, look, dude, you should probably just let him amputate your arm. It'd be better to have you alive. He's pretty good at it. He knows what he's doing. And like on retrospect, I honestly kind of doubting if his arm needed to be amputated. I mean, we don't really see any issue. It's not like gangrene. It doesn't have any actual visible wounds on it that I remember seeing. But I think he just likes to take these arms and legs and body parts for his little lab experiments. But... You know, whatever. But before really anything else happens, the council comes in, decides that he must be a part of their little shindig or shindig, um, or he has to stop practicing altogether because they don't like that he's really good at medicine and that he is taking away all of their patients. I believe one of the men said that like that one of their wives goes to him instead because um, you know he's got the rich people during the day. And then he's got the poor people at night. And uh, so the council is not happy about this one. And he basically tells them to fuck off in so many words by saying, look, 
guys, uh, you're, you literally are just afraid of everyone else who is not in your little council. And all you ever do is either make them join you or force them to shut down. And he's like, I've been here for three years and I've done great on my own for three years. And I'm not, not going anywhere. Not going to join your little party. I'm not going to stop doing medicine. So just goodbye. So do you remember we we discovered a series of documentaries based on the various Hammer movies? Yes, the ones by that German guy. Uh, well, actually, he's not German. He lives here in Massachusetts, in Boston. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I asked him about coming on the show for the podcast, apparently they're mostly done by his wife. And he's not a big Hammer fan. Wow, that's so weird. He's made all of these documentaries. I couldn't watch them because they're in German. And <laughs> I wasn't able to get him on the show to talk about the Hammer movies. But he has like a documentary for every one of the different, a lot of these different Hammer movies. It was it was really disappointing to uh, to find out he didn't want to come on the podcast because he didn't, he's not actually, he's just a work for hire. That's so strange because it's like, I, I find that Hammer film seems to be pretty cult. So it's like one of those things that the people who make things about it seem to be very passionate about it. So that's like that's really surprising to me. So Frankenstein promises his uh, crippled assistant a sexy new body. The brain itself that they they cut out of the uh, of the body though that they're gonna give to the assistant looks so gross and doesn't even look like a full brain. It just looks like a, a like a cut of butcher meat. So funny. It looks like, I don't know, it looks like a quarter of a brain or maybe like one hemisphere of the brain. It definitely does not look like a whole brain. I'll give them credit that it's nice and squishy. That's what's important, I guess. <laughs> Carl was like, look, I helped you out and you can help me out by not giving me a crippled body anymore because I'm really tired of everyone staring at me which is sad because carl's great i think he just wants to get laid yeah yeah because margaret walked into the room and he was like oh man i love her i could totally have her if i didn't look like the way i did yeah but which is like the so opposite of what we just did with captain chronos when his assistant who had a hunchback that movie was like one of the underlying things in that movie was like dude you are awesome the way you are like fuck these people you're great (laughs) so it's like the total totally opposite from my book the hammer vault uh treasurers treasuries from the archives of hammer film says september 1957 had seen the beginning of a worldwide distribution deal with columbia pictures international hence why we get the columbia pictures logo at the beginning and end of the movie the most important oh, co-production yeah. relationship in Hammer's history began with the camp on Blood Island and Guy Green's thriller The Snorkel. But the third film in the package was real incentive for American distributors, the sequel to The Curse of Frankenstein. Screenwriter Jimmy Sangster was hard-pressed to fulfill James Curran's commission, partly because the Baron had seemingly been beheaded at the end of the previous film, and partly because he was given less than two weeks to deliver the final draft of the script. The Revenge of Frankenstein, as the film ultimately titled, went on the floor at Bray Studios in January 1958, produced by largely the same team behind the original film. Sangster gave the Baron an intriguing morally ambiguity and concocted a ruthless scenario that added sadism and cannibalism to the familiar medical malpractice. He later admitted that he was revolted by some of his own ideas. The result was a rare instance of a sequel being superior to the original. The mixture was very much as before, says Sangster modestly, which was what Hammer and the American money were aiming for. 
Wow. And there is a uh, novelization of the movie, which has the Frankenstein creature being hung up by that thing strapped around his chest in green uh, shorts. But the other poster has Han's creepy hand luring over uh, a female victim. And it says, the new and greatest Frankenstein masterpiece, The Revenge of Frankenstein, in supernatural technicolor, from the makers <laughs> of The Curse, in twice as terrifying, by a Scream Line promotional campaign. And then there's lobby cards in here as well. Um, it was originally supposed to be called The Blood of Frankenstein. Oh, huh. I think revenge actually fits better. Yeah, but who is Frankenstein getting revenge on? He's not going after the people that did him wrong in the previous movie. His assistant and that girl get away. Oh, yeah. And, like, in this movie, too, there's no one to really seek revenge on because not only has it been three years... They move twice. His like new assist, both his new assistants, both Carl and Hans, are totally chill. Like there's no one, no one to fuck with. Right. I, but I mean, he has that line about it being about revenge to do better, show the. I guess, I guess his revenge is on the world to show the world that he can succeed in making the perfect human. I mean, he just is really about cheating death. And I think you mentioned while we were recording it, uh, sorry, while we were uh, taking our notes, that reminded you of Herbert West in The Reanimator. Yeah. So Carl wakes up in the, um, or yeah, Carl, wait, who's the hunchback? Sorry. Yeah, that's Carl. Okay. Carl wakes up. So by the way, we, we, we skipped one quick thing. Hans blackmails Frankenstein into being his assistant. Yeah. He He's like, if truth. you don't tell, or if you don't let me be your assistant i will literally tell everyone that you are actually frankenstein i'm telling <laughs> and frankenstein's like okay but you know i'm like really fucked up right hans is like yeah yeah i do i mean <laughs> I, i'll kill anybody for a body and uh those i don't kill eventually i'm gonna rape some chick because that's what i do <laughs> um... i was like honestly shocked because i expected him to like run away like his other like the other guy did but no he was like he was on the ball man i was really proud of him so hans wakes up in probably the most disgusting recovery room of all time the guy just had massive surgery and that room couldn't be any more gross plus they strapped him down <laughs> the girl the nurse uh, comes in and sees him and uh she wants to know who he is he eventually escapes, but we also have this janitor from uh, who's snooping around Frankenstein's labra laboratory, and he's also uh, he's the janitor at the hospital where Frankenstein's picking apart his victims. Yeah, he seems to uh, take great pleasure in sneaking around and knowing that Frankenstein is not who he seems to be, but doesn't really do anything about it. The janitor is played by George Woodbridge, and George Woodbridge... Uh, was alive from 1907 to 1973, and he was also in the Horror of Dracula. He was the landlord. What exactly? I don't remember a landlord. I, I don't either. Yeah, must have been a very minor character. Yeah. But he was also in The Curse of the Wolfman in 1961 as Dominic, another Hammer movie we will get to eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, he was on the Invisible Man TV series, which I didn't know there was an Invisible Man TV series in 1959. But he was also uh, the police constable in The Mummy, the Hammer Mummy film, which we will get to. Yay! Okay, so this weird random character just shows up and tries to kill the beautiful looking monster. I do th That's something else I think we should bring up. That unlike in the first one, when Christopher Lee creature is pretty dead looking still, this new creature 
is beautiful. He looks totally alive. Looks like he has, uh, he doesn't have like any weird stitches except for the incision on his forehead where his brain was put in. He just kind of looks like a dude. He looks totally fine. He looks great. Actually, he looks very pretty. I was like, oh, when he first uh, wakes up, I was like, holy shit, he's he's hot. What? I was there for it. The weird rando character. What was his name? I don't know that he had a name. The the like weird guy who was in the lab. Yeah, I know. I just uh, out of nowhere. Yeah, he had his actors credited, but I don't know. I don't know his name. I don't know the character's name. He like shows up to get killed, and then no one gives a shit. And slowly, he starts turning into a monster. He goes from being really beautiful, but he he starts falling apart. Yeah, starting with this random man who is in the lab, starts to attack Carl. And Carl starts to lose his shit. And then we have the uh, this also random blonde girl um, show up, and I call it Carl in the Bad Touch. As he grabs <laughs> her and kills her, and she really serves... She was not in any other part of the movie, right? No, she's just in that one scene. She's talking to her boyfriend and then gets, uh, I was just, just like, well, I'm bi- li- bye, I'm leaving. Um, I'm trying to figure out who this is. Is this Vera? Is that her name? Greta. Her name was Greta? Yeah, I think my subtitle said G-E-R, I mean, G-R-E-T-R. Greta. Okay, let's see who played Greta. I don't want to entirely believe the subtitle. Yeah, I have a boy and a girl here as different characters. Um, <laughs> there were no children in this movie, right? Yeah, that's why I think they're calling them boy and girl on oh. the IMDb. Okay, all right. Yeah, sometimes when you don't always get characters' names, that's it's just so quick. Uh, according yeah. to IMDb, she's still alive today, but really, the only thing on her credit that is any notoriety is the Revenge of Frankenstein, where she plays girl. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe blonde girl in blue dress. It's a very striking blue dress, too. Uh, she's from, oh, she's from Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, so is Neil Blomkamp. Hmm. Um... But it's a very striking blue dress in a, such a drab color movie. I don't know how the rental copy was that you were watching, but the DVD copy I was watching, everything is very, very dark. And the blacks are very, very black. Um, Mine looked pretty clear, but her... Because I think I, I had rented the HD version. Okay. And it was nice and crisp, but her dress still really stood out. I mean, I don't really think there's anything else in the entire movie that's blue. For the most part, everything it's like grays, whites, neutrals, and then Margaret has some some red on. Um, Margaret has the only cleavage in the whole movie when we get to the party where the monster crashes the party and uh, <laughs> yeah. shouts out Frankenstein's name. And basically, his goose is cooked as everyone hears it and learns that this is Doctor Frankenstein. He goes back to the hospital yes. and the patients beat him to death. It's like probably the cruelest scene in the whole movie, despite the fact uh, he deserves it being a jackass. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, well, okay. So I guess also that Carl just dies there because he's, all, he's re-crippled by the way, like completely re-crippled his little eye, his arm and his leg and his back are back to being how they were in his old body. Then he just dies in Frankenstein's arms after outing him. And I guess the the people who he was treating totally 
totally cool. He was a great doctor. But now that they know he's Frankenstein, he sucks. And it was horrible to watch them beat him to like near death. They really went, they went all in on him. So the police come looking for. So the police come looking for uh, Doctor Stein, and he's not there. Oh well, I guess we gotta leave. Yeah, Hans is like, oh, you mean this guy? He's he's dead, man. Those those poor people, they beat him to death. I don't know. I guess it's done, right? We're done here. We're good. He's dead. And they're like, yeah, okay, works for us. Bye. Then um, he basically brings Dr. Stein back to life, and uh, he's got a uh, mustache and a scar along his head, and he disappears in the credits roll. Very quick, abrupt ending. Uh, Peter Cushing would go on to be in The Hound of the Baskervilles after this as Sherlock Holmes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, a movie I wouldn't mind actually covering, despite it not yeah. being a horror movie. I love the poster, too. The world's most terrifying classic, The Hound of the Baskervilles. For delivery to United <laughs> Artists by Hammer. <laughs> what gave you the curse of Frankenstein in Horror Dracula gives you the Hound of the Baskervilles. <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, yeah, so that's supposed to uh, distinguish him from the last two people that he was. He, he actually was a mustache. Yeah, and, he uh, and a monocle. And a mon- yeah, monocle. Oh, yeah, don't forget the monocle. Like, uh, na- So now he's the Monopoly man. <laughs> yeah um i guess this I was... is a better way to set up him for a sequel and then figuring out how are we gonna cheat death this time yeah yeah i mean i thought it was pretty interesting actually i thought the end of this one well minus the extremely abrupt ending the where the plot goes i thought it was pretty cool that hans was actually real serious about being his his little partner there and was like yeah bro don't worry I'll put your brain in the new body. I got you. And still, Hans was still there when they moved to London. Um, And I guess Frankenstein, he just is kind of, I think you said it, he's already a monster. So being put in a new body doesn't really change a hell of a lot for him. No, but again, it does definitely just sets it up for the next movie so that way he can just walk onto the screen without, oh, how did he get from where he was? Like Dracula, right. every five minutes they got to figure out how to bring back Dracula, which I'm sure was exactly. very daunting for the script writing. But at least this way they could just he could just be like, oh, well, I, I cheated death and my, my scars healed up. I'm fine. Yep. Ha ha. Yeah. I'm the most successful creation of them all because I don't start slowly falling apart or going compl- any more crazier than I already am. Exactly. That's the I'm, thing. The next I'm few already movies, evil. <laughs> the next few movies probably don't even acknowledge the fact that he's in a brand new body. Yeah, I was actually wondering about that. I doubt it. I doubt it. It's a, probably barely even a footnote. So, yeah. again, he is the greatest Frankenstein creation of them all time himself. Whereas he keeps making these mishmash, horrible-looking things in the next several films. <laughs> you gotta top. You gotta top it. He can't. He can't just. Success is not the yet there because he can't talk to about it. I talk about it to anyone, I guess. Nobody else can be Captain Topper except for Doctor Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's all the notes I have here for the uh, boobs, blood, and badasses. The boobs in this movie are pretty much non-existent, except for the cleavage at that party. This was a very conservative-looking film. Was. The blood? Eh, I mean, there's some gross stuff here and there, but there's nothing really like the bloodshed we saw in the Dracula films. Yeah, no. 
Um, and the badasses, uh... It's kind of a tough choice in this one. Right. There's not really, like, a lot of redeemable people, and there's no real hero. Right. I mean, it's not like the, uh, it's not like Frankenstein's assistant who gets the new monster body is all that innocent. He helped kill man to save his master, so... I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's pretty badass that uh, the um, uh, what's the name of the other guy, the the good looking guy that saves Frankenstein, Carl. 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 Yeah, I I feel like Carl deserves some some credit. Yeah. He got kind of like the short end of the stick. But he stands up to Frankenstein and blackmails him. Yeah, that's true. Which is, like I mean, I guess gutsy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We can give it to Hans. <laughs> Wait, okay, hold on a second. I keep getting my names mixed up. Um, Carl is the crippled. Yes. Okay. And Hans, Hans is the is, assistant. Okay, Hans is the assistant. Okay, so it should go to Hans. Yeah, yeah. Because Hans basically has the balls to blackmail Frankenstein, but then turns around and, and actually is the only person out of the entire film series to create a successful monster because Frankenstein yeah. goes on to be on the other movies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So I guess it goes to him. We'll be back in a few weeks with the next exciting movie, The Evil of Frankenstein. Don't forget you can send us an email, thatradiohorror at gmail.com. We were sent a rather interesting email regarding a timeline for the Hammer movies, and I wanted to go over the timeline, but I can't find the email. If you happen to have that email in your folder, resend it back to me so I can take a look at the timeline, because I'd like to uh, give that person credit. We read the email on the show, but he he created a really cool timeline, but I can't figure out where I put the email, so if you find it, send it back to me. If you would like to email us, send us an email thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Also, feel free to like us, uh, feel free to go to the dorkening.com website uh, network to look at all the other great podcasts there. But also, please leave a comment and a rating, five stars, on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, if you could, or wherever you happen to find uh, our podcast. And you can find us on our individual Twitters as well, and a Facebook page. By the way, so someone asked why there's no big social media for this podcast. I run a ton of other social media. So I'm condensing some social media down into this one specific um, podcast network without having multiple pages. So there's no boobs, blood, and badass social media page, but the social media for this podcast is run through Radio of Horror on Facebook. So go to Radio of Horror on Facebook, hit the like button, and that's where you'll find all sorts of information about the show, the other shows that I do, and uh, when the next episode is going to air. You can also find us on Twitter at ChrisDSAV. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lauren. That's R-O-L-0-R-E-N. And come back in a few weeks for The Evil of Frankenstein on Boobs, Blood, and Badasses, the Hammer Horror Podcast. Yeah!